Today's reading is Mark chapter 10. Then Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. Again the crowds came to him, and he taught them, as was his custom. Some Pharisees came to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? they inquired. What did Moses command you? he replied. They answered, Moses permitted a man to write his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus told them, Moses wrote this commandment for you because of your hardness of heart. However, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. When they were back inside the house, the disciples asked Jesus about this matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and told them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and knelt before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus replied, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not cheat others, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he replied, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, There is one thing you lack, go, sell everything you own, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But the man was saddened by these words and went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God! And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God! It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. As they were going up the road to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were amazed, but those who followed were afraid. Again, Jesus took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and will deliver him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, 
he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and declared, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he inquired. They answered, Grant that one of us may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus replied. Can you drink the cup I will drink or be baptized with the baptism I will undergo? We can, the brothers answered. You will drink the cup that I drink, Jesus said, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I undergo. But to sit at my right hand or left is not mine to grant. These seats belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their superiors exercise authority over them. But it shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Next they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho with a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many people admonished him to be silent, but he cried out all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man. Take courage, they said. Get up. He is calling for you. Throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Rabboni, said the blind man. Let me see again. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is God's word. Two people join together in the covenant of marriage with great hope for what their lives together will be like, great intentions about how they will interact with each other, and an expectation that their marriage will last for the duration of their lives. This is how God intended it to be. As Jesus said in verses 6 and 7, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's the NIV's reading. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, every marriage would be perfect, because two perfect people would enter it with the ability to have perfect obedience to God's intention and commands for marriage. Unfortunately, we do not live in a perfect world. When two people marry, both of them bring a sin nature, a sinful past, and sinful desires and impulses into the marriage. No matter how strong their resolve and how good their intentions may be, they will have an imperfect marriage. If problems accumulate and are unresolved, one or both of them may start thinking about what it would be like to be married to someone else, or at least to leave the marriage that they have. In Moses' time, men held all the power. They decided whom their daughters would marry, and a man who had the means could accumulate several wives, or several hundred wives in the case of Solomon. One reason for polygamy was that war 
and farm accidents meant that, at times, there were not enough men available to marry all the women who existed. A man who disliked his wife, then, could just add another one to his life and hope she would do for him what the first wife did not. But if he disliked one of his wives enough, he could kick her out. Because he inherited his property from his father, he had absolute ownership, and his wife had no legal ownership at all. If he told her to leave, she was trespassing if she didn't do so immediately. If a man sent his wife away, she didn't have many options. She could return to her father's house, but dad might not be able, due to age or poverty or death, to care for her. If another man liked her and wanted to marry her, he could be in a tough position. What if her husband cooled off and wanted her to come home? Without divorce, legal proof that a woman's marriage had ended. A woman rejected by her husband and sent away would have very few options. This is where divorce comes from. Moses, in the words of verse 4, permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away. That's the NIV's reading again. The certificate of divorce clarified a woman's status to the world. It told a potential second husband that a woman was free to remarry because her original husband had repudiated her and legally dissolved their relationship. Jesus said, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law in verse 5, again in the NIV. The hardness of heart referred to the tendency of men to marry a woman, then kick her out without actually divorcing her, so that he would have the option of bringing her back into his life and into his home again. Separating from a woman without divorcing her would be an abuse of his power. So to protect a woman from being starved and homeless due to a husband who wouldn't decide whether to live with her or break it off legally with her, Moses required any man who kicked his wife out to make it all official and legal-like. Divorce came into existence, then, to protect a woman from being legally bound to a man who wouldn't keep the commitment he made to his wife. If a woman is legally married but moves in with another man, we call that adultery. If she has been divorced, however, there is no adultery, legally speaking, because the divorce legally dissolved the marriage agreement. All of this makes sense to us, and it made sense to Jesus and his audience. If you sign a contract with Comcast, but then decide that they are not keeping up with their half of the bargain, you can dissolve the contract. There may be penalties to pay, as there are in divorce, actually, but nobody will judge you for using legal means to end a bad contract. Jesus, however, taught that marriage is more than a legal contract. His teaching reflected the intentions of God as stated in Genesis 2.24 and quoted by Jesus in verses 7-8 through 8 of our passage, Mark 10. Those verses say this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's the NIV's reading. We know from 1 Corinthians 6.16 that one flesh refers to sexual intercourse. God created sex not only so that a couple could make children together, but also so that they would be bound together at a physical level, not just a legal level. Divorce dissolves the legal aspect of marriage, but it is impossible to dissolve the psychological bond that physical intimacy creates. Sex permanently bonds you to your partner in a way that is impossible to completely break. This is why remarriage is, according to Jesus, an act of adultery, because God created and intended marriage to be one man and one woman 
for one lifetime. The disciples were concerned by how strict Jesus was about divorce, so they asked him to clarify his remarks in verse 10 of our chapter. Jesus explained that someone who divorces his wife to marry another person has committed adultery. Legally, men can get divorced, but morally and spiritually, they cannot. Notice that Mark here did not include the exception clause that Matthew included in Matthew 5:32 and 19 verse 9. The exception clause in those two verses of Matthew allows someone to divorce and remarry for sexual immorality. In that case, Jesus said, the divorcing spouse has not committed adultery because the sin of adultery was already committed by the spouse who was sexually immoral. Sexual immorality is a breach not only of the legal covenant of marriage, but of the one flesh relationship which God had created. You are supposed to be one flesh with only one person. So adultery separates what God has joined together. Mark did not include the exception clause here in this verse that Matthew included in his gospel because most divorces are not due to adultery. Jesus warned us all in this passage that although divorce is legal and regrettably necessary sometimes because of a hard-hearted spouse, it is not what God wants nor what God intended for marriage. The application to all of us is obvious isn't it? But think about it. The application is, be faithful to your spouse. The application is, to marry someone and stay married to them and don't commit adultery. And so if you are married, think about your relationship to your spouse. First of all, are you providing your spouse all of the things that he or she deserves from the spouse? And if you're intending on getting married soon, think about what it means to be in covenant with someone. Think about the agreement you are entering into. And think about the fact that God is a witness to your vows and will hold you accountable for how you act in marriage. It's unfortunate but true that many Christians act just like the non-Christians around us do. But this is not the way God intended it. As followers of Christ, we need to be careful about the way we act in marriage and seek to glorify God in the way that we interact with our spouse and with everyone else in the world who isn't our spouse. So keep that in mind today and think about how to be obedient to the Lord in this way. And I'll see you next time. May God bless you. I hope you have a great day.